Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or of course Friday evenings on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes, you're welcome to episode number 903. Joining me as ever is our editor-in-chief, uh, Niall Kitson. Niall, a couple of things in the news today, or this week I should say. Um, Spotify are being absolutely hilarious this week, all right? We get to that in a second. I love this story. I love, no, there's two stories with Spotify actually. Okay. Uh, but uh, let's just talk business. Nvidia and ARM. That, that that was meant to be a huge, big deal in the offing. There's been a change. Yeah, Nvidia and ARM. ARM is a, a UK chip maker. Uh, we probably know them very well. Nvidia, you certainly know very well from their from their graphics. Uh, Nvidia was going to buy ARM from the parent company or from the owner SoftBank uh, for forty billion dollars. It was to be a, a, a massive, you know, groundbreaking deal. Uh, however, the FTC in America, the EC, the UK, Competition and Market Authority all went, hey, hey you're, you, you want to do what now? That this is not good for competition in the, in the sector. Um, chip, chip is, uh, chips are a very difficult market at the moment, seeing as there's a semiconductor shortage going on right now. Actually, I came across a, a bit of trivia during the week. America has roughly five days worth of semiconductors. If they were to lose their supply tomorrow, they got five days. That is it. Now, only people who listen to Tech Radio would really appreciate that. Everybody else would be thinking about potatoes <laughs> or food. <laughs> what? Only yeah. five days chip supply? Oh, my God. Without, without any, any, anything else incoming, that's all they got. So it's not a lot. So th- this, is, this is the problem. This is the semiconductor crisis we find mm. themselves in at the moment. So anyway, everybody just who has an interest in uh, every regulator that has an interest had a look mm. at this deal and said, no, this is going to be bad for the consumer. It's going to reduce innovation, push up, push up prices. It's not going to be good. Uh, NVIDIA walked away from the deal. They said, OK, we're not doing it. That's it. It's fine. We're done. Uh, to which SoftBank is probably thinking, OK, what else can we do with ARM now? Um, OK, we can't offload it. Uh, how about we do an IPO? See if we can make some money that way uh, or sit on it. Whatever. In any case, NVIDIA can't buy ARM. Right what do you think? Do you think that's a good decision? Uh, for us as consumers, yeah, I think it's, okay. it's a great idea. I mean, the chip right. market uh, has to be competitive. Okay, uh, let's move on to Spotify, who are uh, kicking mm. who are kicking some butt uh, this week. Uh, you'll tell me the music story in a second, uh, but firstly, on the royal end of things, do you remember Harry and Meghan signed a $30 million deal? Oh, wow. I don't, now, I don't remember the exact number. But it was $30 million uh, they signed uh, to make podcasts and we made through their Archie, whatever it's called, uh, audio company. Uh, mm-hmm. This was uh, kind of mid to late 2020. And do you know, mm-hmm. do you know how many podcasts they've made? Oh, okay. Go on, hit me. One. One. And it was in Christmas 2020 and it was just kind of a little one-off like, oh, what are we all going to do for Christmas this year? Let's talk to our buddy Elton John. Oh dear. And that was it. So now Spotify are kind of, I think they've had enough. So they've mm-hmm. put out a press release this week to say that they're putting together a production team to help Harry and Meghan make the podcast. <laughs> they're sending out the heavies. They're going to sit them down. They're going to embarrass say, them into doing it. <laughs> we know you're not good with work. 
<laughs> I know. But sometimes making massive public pronouncements like that, like Spotify are doing Harry and Meghan, uh, backfires, as is in the case with Neil Young this as week. As is in the case with Neil Young this week. Uh, Neil Young and Joe Rogan, uh, of course, which, cra- which gay crashes are very interesting debate that we regularly have on this show. So basically, okay, the short version. Uh, Neil Young basically said to Spotify, look, um, you've got Joe Rogan's podcast on your platform. You are the you bought it. You're the producers of it. Uh, he on his show he spreads misinformation about COVID nineteen and vaccines. This is actually costing lives. I don't want to be on this platform if that's what you're going to promote. It's either my music or his show. To which Spotify said, "Thank you for your service and best of luck in your future endeavors." <laughs> no more Neil Young to be had on Spotify. No more Neil Young. Okay, but let's look at us uh, uh, from a couple of perspectives. Okay, how much money has Neil Young actually lost by getting off Spotify? I would say zero because uh, in the back of my head, the whole thing with Neil Young is that he's just sold his back catalogue to somebody else. For how much? Oh, I don't know. Millions, 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 millions. millions. Huge amounts of money. So his songs aren't his property anymore. Mm. So, you know, him kind of going to Spotify uh, and saying, take off my music is not going to affect him financially. Yep. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, Also, um, I I discovered this on Twitter. Go on. Uh, Not a lot of people on Twitter know who Neil Young is. Well, you know, kind of there is that. Like he is 60s, isn't he? You know, he's, he's up there with kind of Bob Dylan and stuff like that. And like those guys are, I mean, they're what, 70s, 80s now this day? Maybe yeah, not 80s, 70s, his, definitely. Yeah, he's in his 70s. Yeah. But, but it was very much like, who is this old guy? How dare he say? It's like, oh God, what is Any idea how much money Neil Young was making out of Spotify? Probably $2 a month. <laughs> Let's, so let's let's get real about Spotify's you know royalties here. <laughs> Nile is not a fan. No. <laughs> Listen, speaking of money, uh, cryptocurrency kind of making the news again. Uh, Bitcoin in its 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 forever up down up down up down up down is down uh, significantly in the last week. I think it dropped like half its value or something like that. Um, but the other cryptocurrency that we haven't heard about in ages is kind of making the headlines this week, and that's the Libra currency with Facebook. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, uh, do you know what? I, I'm sure certain people would rather it not make the, head fun, the headlines whatsoever. Uh, I mean, this this project was announced in, what, 2019? It was pre-pandemic anyway. Yeah. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg came out and said, look, uh, Facebook, we're getting into cryptocurrency because we want people to be able to manage transactions on Facebook Messenger and on WhatsApp. It makes sense to have a digital currency. Let's just use it uh, across all these platforms. And he had a load of backers initially. Uh, And basically what uh, Libra is, is it's a stable coin. So, you know, uh, cryptocurrency like a Bitcoin Mm. is not pegged to anything. So its value is purely speculative, right? A stable coin pegs its value to something, Right, so it could be the dollar or an asset class or something. It's related to something in the real world. Therefore, its value isn't going to fluctuate as much. Um, but you will, you know, the the coin operator will have that same level of, uh, you know, infrastructure control, if you will. Okay. So it's going to behave like a like Bitcoin, but it's not going to be Bitcoin. And you can be fairly sure your value today is going to be the same as tomorrow. Okay, great. Uh, but it uh, has all the advantages of a digital currency. All the advantages of digital currency. However, very 
quickly after announcing it, um, Facebook ended up losing a load of partners behind it, like Visa, MasterCard, Stripe, eBay. They all walked away from it. So all the payment processors that they need uh, basically said, you know, no, we're, we're kind of, we're done with this. It sounded like a great idea at the time, but now we're seeing the problems you're getting into with regulators uh, this is going to be an issue because it's very difficult to do a stable coin mm. pegged to something if you've got regulators in other countries going, no, we would rather it not be pegged to that thing over there because it doesn't mean as much over here. Mm. So, you know, this is the problem with cryptocurrency all over the world. It's impossible to regulate effectively. So clearly the payment processors went, okay, look, we're we're running into problems, not just nationally in, in the States, but internationally, while people try to figure out how to actually regulate this stuff. Mm. So a lot of people left. Uh, the project changed its uh, name from Libra to the DM Association. Uh, and now that has quietly been retired because, as we all know, the Facebook or the rather Meta's project is the metaverse. It's yeah. not interested in cryptocurrency or digital currencies uh, anymore. So, you know, maybe you will be able to buy Meta books in, in the future. Who knows? Who knows? So uh, basically, uh, Facebook Libra, Facebook DM or whatever they're calling it is a close contact case. And as a result, we won't see it ever again. Uh, last a little piece of news and more note for the diary than anything else uh, Wednesday week the 9th of February Samsung are going to be doing their uh, their unboxed or their unloaded or their un, un whatever unboxed um, uh, S22 is what they're going to announce and the rumours are that the S22 is going to be more note like and may even come with a pen so we shall wait and see what happens uh, Wednesday week. But for now, Niall, as always, thanks for keeping up to date with this week's news. Magnet Plus is a new name and we've a radically new approach to connecting businesses. Let's start with long-term contracts. We've shredded them. You're not tied into a contract. With 30 days notice, you can leave. Our job is to make sure you never want to. So Magnet Plus promises incredible service as standard. Our people will never let yours down. And with Contract Freedom Business Broadband, you're never tied down. Discover what else Magnet Plus can do differently for your business at magnetplus.ie. Terms and conditions apply. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Many of us share our online lives through images, sharing pictures of food, families and more every single day. But what if the servers and the data centres that we use to store these images were intelligent and alive and they were watching us by day and trying to make sense of it all when they dream at night? You think I'm crazy? Listen on. Artist Robin Price has been asking that very question. And his exhibition, Do Androids Dream of Electric Shapes, is on at the Digital Hub. And he's been giving some fascinating answers to Niall Kitson about the project. I know in music in particular, we've had an awful lot of pandemic albums, an awful lot of pandemic artistic projects going around. And looking at your work at the moment, you would think that it's it's something of a pandemic project because it it's a, involved in a public space. You don't necessarily need to be around someone to enjoy it. But that's not quite the, the story of your project, is it? No, the, the project uh, began, um, Fiat from Digital Hub got in touch with me the, the week before the, uh, the pandemic um, hit. And the initial commission was to 
make work in response to the um, the Dublin 8 Smart City um, initiative around the theme and the idea of intervention. Um, and that, so that you know, he approached me uh, two years ago. Then obviously the pandemic came um, and I, during the pandemic, I thought, uh, especially sort of during the sort of long time in, in, in lockdown, when you weren't seeing your friends, I think a lot of people, myself included, got sort of quite obsessed with social media as a way of like acting out our sort of daily lives to each other because we couldn't be around each other. So everything became sort of quite performative. Um, so I kind of very much got into sort of looking and thinking about sort of social media and the way that was changing our behavior and, um, what that has sort of how that big shift has uh, affected society and then when I came to sort of you know try and make the work and come back to uh, Dublin 8 and to the digital hub and started having meetings with them around the smart city project none of the um, the initiatives that were starting up had started to generate data feeds that I could really work with so um, because I've worked with other projects that were taking sort of public data from an area, sort of geolocated um, social media data in the past. I did a project with um, Twitter, taking all the tweets from Belfast and then running them through a, a social media sentiment analyzer. I sort of thought I do like to do something a bit like that, but I'm more interested in working with images than, than text because all the time I spent on Instagram um and so it sort of it came out of that so it's it's informed in part by my experiences over the pandemic and in part uh in response to uh the initial brief which was sort of um around this idea of like a you know, smart city and sort of the way um technology and algorithms are going to be used in different ways to sort of try and engender um positive outcomes and um, perhaps thinking about some of the the unintended consequences around sort of the use of technology so tell us how the project actually works, because you mentioned there by not having that sort of baseline of data that you could pull in and start making something kind of straight away. So how exactly does it work? How do you get from the idea of having all this social media infra, uh, data floating around in the air and turning it into a projection going on the uh, St. Patrick's Tower in the digital hub? How does that process work? So it uses um, scraping, which is sort of uh, how Google built their empire. They, they they scraped the internet for all its data and then categorized it. Um, so, in uh, in some senses, sort of controversial. In others, it's the same, exactly the same process of sort of like logging in, requesting the images back um, in the same way that if you just clicked on Instagram's page and says, "I want to search for Dublin." Um, it's exactly the same process, except I'm using a Python library. I'm using the InstaLoader uh, Python library, um, and I feed that my login credentials and a, uh, a set of query um, terms that uh, it it just spoofs what a web what a web browser would do. So um, it does that, and then Instagram feeds that data back to me, um, and I save that in a portion of my hard drive. Uh, and then delete it two weeks later in accordance with GDPR rules. Um, so that that image, those images come in, and then I take those images and I feed them to Google and I ask Google, what is it that you're most certain of seeing? So I use the Google Vision um, AI. Again, it's uh, another Python script. So it gives me a set of labels and a set of bounding boxes because if, if algorithms do dream of electronic shapes, I think what I've learned is those shapes are boxes and um, it's sort of almost quite a reductive process of putting things in in boxes and I get those images and the bounding boxes and the labels for what Google thinks it sees in these um, images that people from the area have uploaded 
And then I feed those at night into um, a laser. Uh, and it was a bit of software that I wrote. This is the, the biggest undertaking for the project was quite a lot of um, sitting and coding and researching into how to make the laser draw images. And what I found early on was the limitations with, with um, lasers. They do lines really, really well. Obviously, you can't fill anything in because it's just it's just moving a beam around. But I've done other projects in the past with um, long exposure photography, which is sort of a um, uh, yeah a sort of passion of mine. Um, so I, I kind of when I was taking test pictures uh, in my studio, I found that I was that I was getting better and better results the longer I left the um, the camera shutters open for. So I thought, well, what if I just sort of ditch the lines and I go with the idea of pointillism and I just sample the images that I've that I've um, I've taken off the internet, and I take sort of random samples, and then take the um, the brightness of the image at that point, and then use that to control the laser and just have it scatter. Break it breaks images down into um, sort of a chaos of binary pulses that it blasts against the tower. So when you go there and you look at it, you don't see somebody's photo um, displayed large in a public space, which I think is probably a good thing as well because that might be a sort of uh, I don't know, it could be construed as an unethical act, um, even though that image is publicly available. So it breaks the image down, blasts it against the tower, and then it's only in the camera's eye at the end of a 15-second um, exposure that you get something that approximates um, the original image. And what I really liked about the way those images were formed is they looked kind of grainy and digital, um, and they made me think about sort of data, sort of... Uh, in archives, in, in sort of, you know, these data centers, just tons and tons of this stuff. Um, so I wanted something that looked, sort of spoke a bit more of the sort of the materiality, the feel of, of all this data. Um, so yeah, the software, it takes the images, it kind of makes these sort of dreamlike sequences of one thing um, morphing into the next. And um, to make one of the animations, the animations are then put on display at the digital hub. Um, you can walk. You can walk past um, two big TVs that are in the windows there um, that play these animations. So each animation takes eight hours, um, even though no, sort of twelve hours. It goes dusk till dawn um, to make. Uh, so it play. It sort of uses the laser to create the images, uh, the animations frame by frame, out of the um, thirty or forty so photos that I take a day uh, off Instagram. So, but when you walk past. You sort of you don't see that. What you see is things that look like stars twinkling against uh, St. Patrick's Tower, um, and then a big red X that sort of indicates the camera's ta finished taking its photo, and then that photo is displayed live uh, on one of the TVs. So it's sort of this slightly bonkers idea of taking the internet and shoving it back up itself. Um, that's what it's doing. So it takes takes all this stuff off uh, Instagram puts it through this long convoluted process of sort of imagining a, a cybernetic um, subconscious sort of making sense of what it's seen during the day. And then it posts that back online. It sort of says, well, this is what I dreamt about last night. I had these weird dreams. Um, again, that was kind of a lockdown thing. Cause I think everyone or certainly it seemed quite prevalent. A lot of people had weird dreams over lockdown. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. 
I think that is one of the interesting things about generative art that sometimes, you know, you, you can, you've got a fairly good idea of what you're going to get be, because you're fairly sure what your inputs mm. are going to be. Uh, however, in your case, you weren't sure what your inputs were going to be at all. So you were very much getting a, a, a surprising result every day. Was there any particular moments where you looked at something and went, do you know, what? I never would have thought of that on my own? I th- yeah, I think that's the, that's what I really enjoyed about it was going to bed each night um, and being really excited and sometimes waking up in the middle of the night um, and logging in remotely and just wanting to check the images. Uh, and I, I play tested the, the entire project for uh, about um, the best part of a month in my lab. So um, I work in, uh, in Belfast. Um, so I had it set up in my studios in, in Belfast and I just wanted to be really certain it was all going to work. So I, uh, I would work from home. And then in the end, I caught COVID and I couldn't go into the lab anyway. So I was sort of um, sending the data in, sending the images in remotely, and then waking up in the morning to have this like uh, set of photos that I could then load into After Effects and get my animation out. Um, and it, some of the things that came out really weird is it's dogs. I had some really haunting photos of, of dogs that, so they should be really cute, but after they've been through this process, they, they sort of they are quite. Uh, they can be at certain times quite terrifying. So that's 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 <laughs> a fascinating point where you know once once something quite mundane goes through the process, it can be reinvented as something quite similar, quite sinister. Uh, and I suppose it speaks to that idea of reinventing everything that you see in sort of the the physical tactile world in a digital way. Uh, were you expecting that sort of response of okay, you've got something learning about humanity from scratch, things that we think are quite mundane, quite boring, when looked at from that sort of god tier view if you will and um, they're actually terrifying um i wasn't i didn't know what to expect to be honest with you i think you have quite a free hand when you design these systems so you kind of almost you you could skew it any way so um although like you get sort of these chance things coming up you, uh, if, if, if you find that you're getting results that you don't really like, you just rewrite the algorithm until you get something that you do like, <laughs> um, which I think is is sort of the what I sort of in the end kind of came to feel like the project was was sort of about was a sort of the way algorithms we sort of or artificial intelligence we have this idea of it being intelligent um, and it sort of have, providing this god tier view. But it really is just a reflection of our own sort of biases and, and um, desires in some sense. So then uh, when you're looking at sort of the results that, that were coming out, um, did you feel that you, you had, uh, you know, fulfilled your brief, if you will? Or was it a case of the way you were talking there about just, you know, changing the algorithm to fit? That must have had a very interesting sense of um, ownership of the project, almost that you were working with a collaborator and you didn't like what they were saying. So you just retrained them. Did you feel there was that kind of dialogue going on? Yeah, I think I think that's that's at the heart of sort of our relationship with technology. It is uh, it's a dialogue. It is dialectic. It's sort of um, we kind of invent these tools, um, and then and the interesting thing with technology is that then the, the effects of that that will you know, come back on us. But we don't always, I think, as a as a species, um, 
have much uh, in- awareness or inquiry around sort of how how the, the new tools that we've, we're creating then um, affect our, our sort of our lives. And yeah, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of my art practice is always sort of being in this constant sort of dialogue with technology where I'm sort of something new will come along that interests me and then I'll sort of try and bend that to my will and it kind of like forces me back into what it wants to do and you're sort of wrestling with um yeah just wrestling with code all the time is how I mm. yeah, end up spending most of my days you've touched uh, upon there on the the problem of ethics and gdpr in working with this project um how do you feel you've been changed by this experience i mean do you do you look at sort of um social media any differently or have you gotten a, a better insight into gdpr maybe it's it's transience when it comes to trying to create something that might have say a, a longer term benefit to to that artistic discourse well, i think um the in response to the, the legal and ethical elements of it were quite were quite were sort of unintentional. I did not go into it thinking I'd end up having the sort of conversations that I ha- ended up having with lawyers. Um, I wasn't expecting that because, to my mind, all these images were already in the public domain, and you could people, you know, if you want, you could you could do whatever they wanted with them. And I'm not showing them. I felt in a sort of you know sort of like sort of you just getting a very high power projector and just blasting things up there so anyone can see it that might be sort of potentially embarrassing and you don't you don't sign up for that again like people could you know in theory do that i feel like the gdpr um it's almost pointless in the sense that that those images are still there they're still sort of so you could just sort of log back into your phone and people anyone could go and see anything that's been been used so it feels like we're sort of constructing this sort of great archive of, of stuff and the sort of the legal systems are playing kind of catch up. I mean, there were um, allowances in GDPR for creative use. And in the end, that's what sort of um, we sort of pegged it on. The uh, I think in the way it sort of changed my own attitude towards social media is over the whole sort of course of the pandemic, I kind of um, became more aware of the way and I th- this sort of the mental health aspects of it although it's sort of on the one hand it's this great tool for staying in touch with with friends and sort of fostering relationships it also it drives a lot of really um negative sort of mental health uh sort of outcomes where it sort of feeds this sort of uh fear of missing out um and it, this weird sort of performativity that um i felt like at various times i engage in and then also you see like everyone else engages in that it's this knowingness where everything becomes not so much tied up with experiencing an event um, in real time for its own sake. It's about recording and documenting that for to perform that to a generalised audience of not only just your friends but everybody in response uh, in return for some kind of like you know like gratification at the end, sort of like a social rating system that sort of you then peg if you're, you're not careful your sense of self worth to. So I think the longer I sort of spent with social media, the more I started to really um, just have sort of a uh, slightly more nuanced and critical view. Like I'm sort of simultaneously addicted and disgusted by it. Um, so, it, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how, how I feel about it anymore. Um, but it's definitely, but it's not going anywhere. Like it does seem to be the dominant um, sort of, social force that's sort of driven a lot of um a lot of sort of shifting uh so i think you know it, it 
because on those sorts of platforms, it's very easy to just sort of exist within your bubble. It's like, well, if you like this, you'll like that. So we'll just keep feeding you things that we know you already like, surrounded by people that already agree with you. And that, that allows you to sort of get into more, you know, if you're not careful, sort of more extreme stances without there being any kind of uh, wider discourse from people with different sets of views that might keep you grounded. Um, and it also sort of, you know, can lead to sort of people's um, you know, body dysmorphia and sort of having sort of strange feelings of uh you know not feeling good enough there's all kinds of dark stuff out there with it so um i just wanted to do it yeah a project that didn't i wouldn't didn't want to be sort of negative around that but sort of just took a, a really broad look at uh what was going on there which i think although that you know instagram and google aren't based in dublin eight they are they're just up the road so and that was Robin Price speaking to Niall Kitts in the exhibition. Do Androids Dream of Electric Shapes runs at the Digital Hub until Sunday the 6th of March. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more on our website at techcentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, for myself, Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitts. And as always, have a great weekend. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.